Hello and welcome to the Bear Marriage Podcast. I am Rebecca Lindenbach. I am filling in once again for my mom, Sheila Ray Gregoire, and I am also once again here with my husband. And my name is Connor. I'm Rebecca's husband. Yes. So this is actually a different episode than normal. We've been getting requests for this for a really long time, and this episode we are doing so that parents and their teens can listen. Mm-hmm. So this one is actually going to be a teenager-friendly podcast. Yeah, this is a group activity podcast, right? Yeah, and you know, before we before we get into it, I am going to say, like, we're, we're not thinking listening to this with, like, eight-year-olds. Like, we're going to be explicit. We're going to be using words. It's just, um, we're really going to be talking about sex and teens and how do you talk yeah. to teenagers about sex? What are we kind of processing as we're becoming parents and kind of dealing with all this unhealthy teaching that we've had in the church about sexuality, what are we planning on talking to our kids? Yeah, this is going to be all about the conversations about sex. Mm -hmm. So if you're not comfortable with, like, you know, your kids knowing words like clitoris and vulva and stuff, then... Then it's already too late. We just said them. (laughs) Yeah, no, but that's just a bit... Like, we are going to be talking about actual sexual things. Yeah. Um, But we're just going to make this one kid friendly to mm-hmm. the most part for teen friendly teen friendly yeah, yeah not kid friendly teen friendly so i wanted to start off by having both of us kind of tell you guys what it was like for us growing up learning about sex what our kind of different backgrounds are yeah because we came from two uh, very different places in a lot of ways and our sex education was definitely one of them. Mm-hmm. This is going to be, you know, this is a conversation that we're having with each other as well to figure out what things are going to be like for us as parents as we're processing and uh, working everything out. And what we've realized is for me, my sex education was very minimalist. <laughs> uh, and I don't think it was in a way that particularly served me. I. I I mean, I remember my first introduction to it was I asked my parents where babies came from and they, you know, they didn't want to be like shameful or secretive about it or anything. And so they they just, they explained it to me and they said, well, uh, a man touches his private parts to a woman's private parts. And that was about the end of it. So I was really confused uh, when I later discovered that women didn't have a penis like me because that's what a a private part is, right? It's a penis. What else could it be? What else is there? I thought they just like sword fought. How old were you at that point? Uh, I mean, like I, little, I guess I was like, like nine or so. S- yeah, like eight. I think seven. Oh, so like quite seven little. Or eight. Yeah. yeah. So. <laughs> but it was just. Wait, hold up. What? <laughs> and I had a sister. <laughs> so from there, you know, when I was a little bit older, I think around eleven or twelve, my parents did get like one of those uh, video cassette tapes from the library where they kind of talk about some of that stuff and explain, oh, you know, and then the bed bounces and, and everything, <laughs> and they, they rub together, and it still wasn't particularly informative. I'm sorry, I have only experienced this from, like, the conservative Christian ads. I have no idea what kinds of sex education resources are, like, they're actually like for non-Christians, <laughs> but bouncing the bed or whatever would never have appeared. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it was just like the covers the covers go over it's like a little cartoon, the covers go over the both of them and it's like and then they hug each other and rub their bodies together and then a baby happens. And I'm like Okay, I still feel like I'm missing a few steps here. But fast forward a few years, after that my parents kinda just figured, you know, that I was a 
I was a teenage boy growing up in a secular world and going to high school, I'd probably figure it out. Yeah, because you weren't raised Christian. I wasn't raised Christian. I don't know if we've mentioned that yet or not, but yeah. Uh, Not on this podcast. Yeah. No, it's come up elsewhere. But yeah, so I wasn't Christian. I think my parents kind of just figured, uh, I mean, he's gonna, he's gonna figure it out. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, you know, I, I, one of my cousins explained it to me once, like one of my cousins who was younger than me was like, oh, this is what sex is. Oh, interesting. You hear about it from your friends and everything. So I, I figured it out. I learned what sex was, but the problem was we never had any more conversations about sex in my family, which means now I know what this thing is, but I, I, I haven't been informed. My parents didn't give me any idea on, you know, what kind of values I should have around it, what kind of boundaries I should have, um, what the, what their thoughts on it were. And so going through like, you know, my later teen years, I kind of just came to this assumption that they were probably fine with me having sex. They, I just wasn't supposed to talk to them about it. And that's not where you, that's not where I think we want our kids to be. And honestly, I don't actually think that's where your parents wanted you to be no. either. I think that a lot of the lack of information was probably more your parents trying not to heap shame and guilt upon you yeah. and trying to give you space to like kind of grow up, you know, a bit independently and and kind of I think they likely figured that well, well he'll come to ask if we have any que- if he has any questions. But, you know, as we all know, often with kids, you don't want to talk to your parents about stuff unless it's very explicitly stated that it's okay. Or... Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. I, I, it, it's also like, like, I know your parents, they were super involved, like, but it's just, this stuff can be really tricky to talk to your kids about. Yeah, and it also, if you don't explicitly say, listen, if you have any questions about this thing, please do not hesitate to come to me. If you don't explicitly say that to your teenager... <laughs> Uh, they're probably not going to bring it to you. Yeah, they're probably going to hesitate. Yeah, Yeah, no, and I had a very different experience because I was raised in a Christian home. Obviously, you guys, my my mom runs this blog, right? Like, you guys know my parents at this point, too. Um, What I've talked about before, which is the reason why we kind of did the whole story puberty course that we ended up putting out was we used the, my mom did the whole typical, your daughter's 10 years old, you take her away for a weekend and you explain sex and periods and all this different stuff. And we used the passport to purity uh, curriculum. Now she skipped a lot of it because the passport to purity was also quite focused on just making sure kids never, ever, ever, ever have sex. And uh, I was incredibly traumatized already at learning what (laughs) sex was at age 10. And my mom was like, yeah, we don't need to worry about this right now. (laughs) So I'm glad you skipped all of that. But we really only, I really only got the actual sex education parts of it. And it was definitely more thorough than what you experienced, Connor. Like it explained that women have a vagina and men have a penis and the man's penis is inserted into the woman's vagina. But it didn't really give information that someone who knows nothing would actually understand Mm -hmm. so like i didn't they didn't explain anything at all like how sex actually works so like i kind of just thought it was just kind of like a like a okay this is this is uh, it it just was kind of like you know you're just dipping it in and then you're done okay like and again i'm sorry i know this is uncomfortable but i just these are the kinds of things that teens don't don't know if you don't explain it to them so 
you know, this is, I was thinking this at age 10. You know, I was kind of like, is that just how it works? Does it just yeah. kind of, and, and, and the, the funniest part of it was that the way that male anatomy was explained to me, and again, this may genuinely be a subjective memory issue, but I remember at age 10 listening to this and they explained that in essence, a penis looks a bit like a finger, but like, you know, down there. <laughs> and I just can't, and I remember thinking so clearly, well, if guys have a finger down there, how come so many of them spend so much time scratching themselves with their hands? <laughs> so, like, so when we're looking back on our sex educations growing up, I think the first thing that really comes to mind that we, we, we're, we're planning on doing a bit differently is giving our kids a lot of information. A lot of information and really opening up that conversation so that they doing whatever we can to make them feel comfortable with asking uh, and looking for follow-up. Yeah. You know, like with both of us, it sounds like we both reached uh, a place with our sexual education where there, there are still some missing pieces and you're like, I don't really actually understand. Is it just, you just dip it in? I don't really understand what comes from there. <laughs> and uh, it's not going to be naturally comfortable, I think, for a lot of teenagers to then follow up and be like, okay, no, let's let's, let's go into this in a little bit more depth here. Yeah. This isn't already uncomfortable enough. I, I don't fully understand. And one of the things that my parents did that was the same as what your parents did, um, which is also what we tried to change in the whole story, was that um, it was a one-off conversation. Yeah. It was a one-off conversation. Um, now, my my family had a little bit of a, of a easier time with this because my mom wrote a book called The Good Girl's Guide to Great Sex when I was 15 years old. Mm -hmm. And so, like, by the time I was in high school and my sister was in junior high, like, my mom kind of wrote about this stuff as a living. So even if we weren't really talking about it much between, like, mother-daughter kind of situation, we also knew that our mom was kind of able to talk about this stuff. Yeah. We knew she wasn't embarrassed by it, like, and, and so that was a little bit easier. And so when we did have questions, we actually could go to her really easily. And Katie did quite a bit. I did quite a bit. And so that was that was a little bit easier. And I think that we're going to have a bit of that as well because of the work that we're doing. And yeah. our kids are just going to kind of have to grow up knowing more of this stuff. Because yeah. un unlike my family, where we didn't start, you know, a, a having a family that wrote about sex until I was in high school. I mean, I was writing about sex before my son was even born. Yeah. So I, I, I do think that there's going to be a difference there. But I, I'm interested in seeing as as our kids grow up, what is it that we actually do teach them? And so I, I kind of want to explain to you some of our kind of processing through that. So before we jump right into this, let's just kind of get on the same page with some quick little clarifying things. So as we're having this conversation about, you know, talking to teenagers about sex, talking with your parents about sex, all this, all this kind of stuff, we're coming from the framework and the mentality that God did design sex to be a sacred thing. The culture around us kind of often says that sex is just another way of showing love. It's not that big of a deal. And we we actually don't agree with that. I, I really do believe reading the Bible that it was meant to be a sacred thing that is shared between you and your spouse, um, frankly. So that that's our mentality as we're going into this. That's our framework. And so I hope that our kids grow up knowing is that sex is not just something to flippantly do to show love to just anyone. It's something that, you know, God gave us 
As a gift, yes, but we're also called to live a chaste lifestyle. And chaste is a word we don't use that much anymore. We talk about like, are you a virgin or are you not? But chastity and being chaste is really about more than just are you having sex? It's about like the mentality of how are you using your sexuality? Are you holding off of sex and you're also not like kind of trying to use the person as much as you possibly can as long as you're not having sex? Because we see that a lot with a lot of teenage relationships where it's like, well, I'm technically a virgin. And, you know, I, I think that that misses the point of why we we wait and we, we stay chaste is it's not so we can get away with as much as possible. It's so that we're as healthy as we can be. It's so that we're treating people with as much respect as we can be. And it's so that we're, you know, trying to keep sex in its rightful place. And so that's that's really where we're coming from. Uh, just this idea that God really did design sex for a purpose and that it is meant to be shared between just, you know, you and one other person and that person is your spouse. So that, that's our framework as we're having this conversation. Let's, let's first talk about some of the toxic stuff that you might have heard. Yeah. Okay. So one thing that we've seen over and over and over again in... Uh, Christian messaging, especially to girls, but to boys as well, is that if you have sex, you have lost your most precious gift. Mm-hmm. That's actually really common. This idea that your virginity is needs to be protected at all costs because if you get married and you're not a virgin, you will have like defrauded your spouse or like you can't offer them as much or you've given someone else your most precious gift. And I just I just want to say very 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 firmly, your virginity is not the most important thing about you. No. It's really not. Your virginity is not your most precious gift. And I will say that if you are getting married and your virginity is your most precious gift, then in essence, you peak real early in the marriage. (laughs) Like, your partner should not be marrying you for your virginity. They are marrying you for you. Okay? So let's just get rid of that first and foremost. The Bible does not state that you lose value if you lose your virginity. The Bible does not state that your virginity is more important than any other part of you. And if people are trying to, like, kind of scare you into not having sex with that kind of logic, it's just not healthy. Okay? Jesus doesn't love our virginity. He loves us. Exactly. And that's something that I think has been really, really twisted because we're so scared that teenagers are going to have sex because they have all the hormones and all the urges that we kind of figure the only thing stronger than sexual temptation is fear. <laughs> and so, and that's not true. That's just not true. And no. I'm going to, I'm going to talk about some of the studies about that later, but you know, you, you are more than whether or not you've had sex and especially considering how many people have experienced sexual abuse. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's so damaging to tell people that your virginity is that important when for so many people it was taken from them. Yeah, it wasn't a choice. It wasn't a choice. Um, and so let's let's just make sure that as parents um, who are listening in or to the teens who are listening in, like, just do what you can to get rid of that mentality that your virginity is the most precious thing about you. Because it's yeah. not. Yeah. And there's, there's another thing that I think uh, we hear a lot. I mean, I've certainly heard a lot of it in uh, Christian circles and Christian teaching, but also in, like, just in my high school, my secular high school that I went to, and that's this idea of soul ties. And they, mm-hmm. they didn't use that language, but as I explained, didn't hear a lot about sex from my parents, but I did get that, that one class in health class 
uh, you know, the, like the mandatory elective that everyone in our high school had to take in, I think it's, it would have had to be ninth grade, I think, where we had to talk about sex. And so everyone got to write their questions on their piece of paper and submit them at the front of uh, the previous class. And then the teacher would answer all the questions and everything. But at one point she was giving a speech about how, you know, it is important to recognize that anytime you have sex with a person, a part of who you are will forever be given to that person. She was saying this to a group of secular high school teenagers. And I think that can often have one of two effects is a, it can heap more of that shame and guilt on and fear onto having sex, which can cause issues down the road for actually developing uh, a healthy sexuality once you're in uh, a marriage and mm -hmm. everything. But also what happened to a lot of us when we were hearing those messages, I mean, half the people in the class had already had sex. We just kind of like, uh, yeah, I think I'm going to tune out. Half the people? <laughs> well, I don't know. It was grade nine. You know, I'm So being, probably not that generous. many. Yeah, no. But yeah, like, there were a lot of people in the class who would have already done things, and they're like, well, I don't feel broken or missing. Yeah, I'm, look, I'm all here. Yeah, and so I did want to talk, like, I actually looked up before we did this podcast, I tried to find the research that people always quote that say, like, a part of you will forever remain with the other person. And, like, there's a lot of really confusing, mixed-up research. So I want to tell this to the teens so that, like, you guys know what's out there. Um, obviously, we know from research that sex is bonding in a different way than other things. Yeah. It really is. You, you're, you have sex, and your brain releases a whole lot of chemicals that aid in bonding, especially yeah. for, like, 48 hours after you've had sex. Um, I couldn't actually really find a lot of stuff that showed that you had, like, long-term permanent emotional bonds to every single person you've had sex with. Yeah. Um, I actually couldn't really find any research on that. I, I, again, if anyone has any, you can always let me know, but it really does seem like it's more about, you know, we have to be careful that we don't allow the hormones that come with having sex to artificially cloud our judgment and make us feel closer than we are to a person. Mm -hmm. But it isn't that you and that person are never able to be separated again on the soul level. Yeah. And this is used a lot to, like, shame people who have had sex. You know, that you might see this in youth group um, or in churches where they say things like, once you've had sex, you lose some of your stickiness if you wear tape. And they, they kind of take tape and they, they put it against, um, you know, a sweater and rip it off enough times and it can't even stick anymore because it's lost all its stickiness. And that's what happens when you have sex. You lose so many parts of yourself that you're not able to have a proper relationship anymore and it's that's, it's, a, that's a great way to make teenagers who are already going through a lot of stuff and confusion and figuring out who they are it's a great way to make them feel dirty unclean or unwhole yeah and and it's just not biblical either like mm -hmm. i do want to say like obviously the bible wants us to be really wise and smart and selfless and controlled in our sexuality. It really does. But it's not because you lose value. You stop being yourself because you give parts of yourself away. That's that's not 
that's not the why, guys. <laughs> and I'm just, I just want teenagers, especially teenagers who are confused about like, you know, maybe they had sex and they aren't sure they wanted to. Maybe, maybe they've experienced abuse or a manipulative partner who kind of pressured them into, maybe it wasn't fully sex, but like, you know, we did stuff and I feel really bad about it. I don't want them to feel like they're that unsticky tape, you yeah. know, because you're not. Yeah. You're not. You have so much to offer. You are not broken. And so those are two things we just want to get off our plate. Yeah. You know, just really quickly. It's like, as we're talking about sex and teens, we do need to talk about the negative messages teens are receiving about sex that sound very holy. Yeah. You know, because even if they're, even if they sound very holy, they can still be damaging. Yeah. And so they, they can still, like, just not be true. Yeah. So now... And- not only not only can they negatively impact the people who you know have had sex before marriage or have had sex as teens or have gone uh, a bit uh, a bit too far or anything like that not only does it put shame upon them but it can also I think of really impact the people who don't have sex and wait until they're married because mm-hmm. again what it's doing is it's turning sex into this strange dangerous thing that you need to be really careful about and then you know as we know often when you get into marriage with a lot of these uh with a lot of these weird beliefs about sex it's really hard to suddenly just turn it on and be like okay well this is all this is all good and fine now that the context is right if you're giving the wrong messages at the beginning it's not just affecting those who have had sex. It's affecting those who, uh, you know, really do want to work hard to uh, not have sex until they find the right person and get married. Yeah, and and that's just what we're hoping the next generation we can fix for them. And that's like, mm-hmm. and as parents and as you guys who are listening, like, this is a really complicated matter. And so let's talk about how we're kind of hoping to talk to our kids about sex, what we're yeah. hoping to tell them. First of all lots of information yes um i mean our toddler our son is about to turn two years old he already is learning body parts and Mm -hmm. and and like proper words for genitals for men and women yeah he already is um because i want him to be able to have that vocabulary yeah so that he knows what's going on but also like not just talking about as like a right now little little bitty baby but when he's a teenager when he's older when it gets appropriate like we're not gonna hide information about sex about what safe sex is about what different kinds of sex acts are out there because i actually want him to have this info because Mm -hmm. i want him to be safe we actually there's a lot of studies that show that talking to kids about sex does not make them have more sex yeah it really doesn't like abstinence only education where kids are really only taught what like the reproductive side of sex is and then just don't do it Although it does make it less likely the kids will have sex, when they do have sex, it's much more likely to be risky or have negative outcomes, such as an STI transmission or an unwanted pregnancy. Um, and also those kids are less able to identify sexual abuse. Yeah. So I want my I want my son to be able to identify all those things because not only, even if he decides not to have sex, which I really hope he does, like decide that, I want him to be able to see if his friends are unsafe. Yeah. You know, I, I, let me be honest, I, I had a couple of friends who I had to have talks with where I was like, that's, that's not normal. Um, and I knew the information that I was able to actually have those conversations with them. Whereas if I hadn't understood what the sex acts they were talking about were, I wouldn't have been able to step in. Yeah. As Rebecca and I have both laid out, 
when we didn't have all the information, we kind of reached silly conclusions and assumptions <laughs> about things. And so if your kids, if your teenagers aren't getting all the good information that you can give them, they're going to start jumping to some conclusions. Yeah. And those conclusions can be where those unsafe or risky things start to come into play. Yeah, or even just unnecessary embarrassment too. I think that there's a lot of people who really don't understand, for instance, like we talk about, again, like the the idea of how sex works, but we don't necessarily talk about what arousal feels like. We don't talk about what is an orgasm, what's masturbation? Why do people do this? Um, like, how do you know if you are masturbating? Because especially for girls, a lot of times it just kind of happens and it's not as obvious yeah. as for boys. I know that sounds complicated if you're not a girl, but seriously, a lot of girls find themselves masturbating. They're like, oh, I didn't even know that's what I was doing. Yeah. Whereas with a guy... There's a pretty clear indication that something has happened. You're like, okay, <laughs> something has taken place. I maybe don't have uh, a label to put to this, but definitely something happened. Yeah, exactly. And I'm confused and a little scared. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so, like, I want I want our kids to have all the information that they need. You know, I, I don't want them to kind of go through life not sure what's happening with their bodies, what's happening with, like, their, like, what their thoughts are. Like, why do I feel like this? You know, mm -hmm. I, I want them to be able to name these things. Yeah. And also, like, I, I don't want them to be afraid to, you know, talk about explicit things with us. Yeah. And so in order to have that happen, we need to model like, hey, we are going to talk about this stuff. We are safe people to talk about this stuff with. And even if it's uncomfortable, we're going to power through together. Yeah. Yeah, because I think a lot of parents with the whole sex conversation, they have this idea that unless you're, like, super cool and suave about it, it's just bad and embarrassing for everyone involved. No. I think if you just own the awkward, that can be really good. Yeah. That's kind of just the basics. I do want to say, like, you know, you guys should be able to talk about knowledge about sex. Like, you should know what a condom is. Mm -hmm. You should know what birth control is, okay? Whether or not you're using it because you might be in a situation like me where you find out that your friends are having sex without any protection. Yeah. Uh, which I found that out a couple of times in high school. And and it's... It, I am so glad that I was able to step and be like, um, um, you know, <laughs> you know that that's not safe, right? Or knowing that birth control alone, like the pill is not enough to remain actually safe during sex. Like these kinds of things need to be a conversation, not just for your own personal health, but also because, you know, we might come in contact with people who are being unsafe and you could be the reason that they don't get sick. Yeah. You know, so that's, that's, that's a good thing for there. Then I also wanted to talk about, like, how do you talk to kids about the decision to have sex in high school or not? Yeah. Because that's what a lot of Christian parents are struggling with right now. Because all the purity culture teachings for so long, like we said earlier, the church has been so focused on scaring kids away from sex. They say things like, you know, condoms don't work 42% of the time or whatever. And people get pregnant and you get an STIs and you're never going to be able to get pregnant again. And... It's, it's all the scare tactics when all of them are kind of easily debunked by research and statistics mm -hmm. and just basic public health information. So if you can't scare kids into not having sex, which I don't think we should. No. What is kind of, what are we going to do? Yeah. Like, what is the right way to talk about, uh, to talk to your teens about this? And it is tough because I do think it is just uh, kind of a complicated conversation. Mm-hmm. I think what a lot of it comes down to is 
a lot of the emotional side of things, especially during uh, when you're a teenager and you've got these hormones and you are trying to work through your identity and mm-hmm. figure out who you are and figure out relationships. It's such an important and really quite difficult period of self-discovery and self-creation. And I mean, I know as an adult now, I look back at high school and I think, why was high school so tough? Like, life is life is easy now, even though I have so many more things I need to think about, like taxes and all that. It's because, frankly, being a teenager is exhausting. It is. With all the things that you're trying to figure out about yourself. And so I think an important part of that is recognizing that sex and getting into a sexual relationship really can impact that mm-hmm. uh, and that that very critical stage. I mean, when you are a teenager, you're making decisions differently than you would when you're an adult. And that's not that's not a bad thing. That's no. not a value statement. It's just that simply is the case. You know, A, you've got a lot more than your process that you're processing, and B, your brain is just different than it's going to be when you're an adult. And so what that means is that there's a lot more short-term thinking and there are a lot of things that will weigh on decision-making more than perhaps they would if you were just older, if you were an adult. And sex can absolutely be one of those things. Yeah, and I think the the important thing that I want to talk with my kids about is just this idea that there is a reason that teenagers are not able to consent to sex with adults. Yeah. And it's it's partially, obviously, because of the power differential and, like, you know, older person, you can sway and manipulate more easily. But it's also because teenagers can, can be swayed and manipulated a lot more easily than adults can on yeah. average. And again, that's fine. That's part of being a teenager. Your brain is allowed to be in, in essence, practice mode. Yeah. But it's like, there there isn't a law against a 50-year-old having sex with a 25-year-old. No, there's it's, not. It's not just about, it's not about age difference. It's specifically about if you are under a certain age. Yeah, like, are you able to consent? Yeah. And I do think there's a good conversation to be had about how, like, you know, okay, so if two 15-year-olds are having sex, like, they're at equal levels of ability to consent, but neither of them are at 100%. Yeah. And you don't know, as someone who has been a teenager, who did everything right... I have the most sparkling clean teen record you could possibly imagine. Like seriously, I didn't even say my first like C-level swear word. Like not like a, like, like, you know, like the not even bad swear words. I didn't even say one of those until I was after 18. Okay. Like I have the most (laughs) sparkling clean teen record. Um, and I did stuff that I am so embarrassed by. <laughs> yeah. Like, I was a really smart kid, okay? I was ahead of the curve for most things. Me and my friend, like, ran our own small jewelry business when I was 14 years old. I was a piano teacher by 15. I worked as a lifeguard. I worked at an accounting firm when I was 17. Yeah. Like, I was a smart kid. I did things really, really well. And I did stuff that I am so embarrassed by because yeah. teenagers teenagers just do stuff that as an adult, and I'm not even an old adult yet, I'm yeah. only 26, like, we're still, like, less than 10 years out from some of my really cringy stuff, Yeah. okay? You look back on it, and you're like, what was I thinking? And the answer was, you were thinking like a teenager. Yeah, I mean, when, when TikTok first started to become a big platform, I remember seeing some of the videos that kids 
or that like teenagers are putting up on that and being like, wow, teenagers are doing a lot of dumb and embarrassing and cringy stuff on the internet. And then I had a moment of self-reflection. I was like, Oh, I was way worse. Oh, they're just doing yeah. what me and my friends would have been doing yeah. if we had TikTok. Like we you're were allowed to just be a teenager. Yeah, and that's that. That's kind of where I want to talk about it from. Or it's like this idea of like you know what? There is a reason that there are really strict laws about who teens are in essence legally allowed to have sex with, and it's mm-hmm. because you know. You just have a teenager's brain, and you are allowed to just be a kid. You are allowed to do embarrassing crap. You are allowed to, like, you know, just have fun. And you're allowed to just be young and be figuring this out and take time to figure who you are. Yeah, revel in this period of self-discovery. And I just, I don't want my kids to have all of that part of their life have so much extra stress because of sex. Mm-hmm. I don't want them to have to grow up wondering if, like, you know, what they did in high school was okay. I don't want them to grow up thinking, like, yeah, I, I, I didn't see it at the time, but I really was using that person. Like, I don't want them to have to think about that. I want them just to be able to know that they looked back in their high school experience and said, you know, I just figured out who I was, had a lot of fun, and now I'm a grown-up and I'm proud of who I am. Like, but without the the having to worry about some stuff in the past. And I don't yeah. mean that as a scare tactic or a fear tactic. I mean, like, we just need to realistically look at where teenagers' brains are, you know? Because, like, I mean, not about sex, obviously, but I have ways that I treated friends or the ways that I, like, you know, led on people when I was 14 and had a lot of insecurity issues. Like, if a boy liked me, I would totally just fan the flames of that, even if I wasn't interested, because I was super insecure. I was a teenager. Of course I was. And I'm just so glad that I never did that in a way that, like, I feel like I would have taken more intimacy from someone. Yeah. Does that make sense? I think so. Yeah, and that's that's kind of the way I want to talk about with my kids. It's like it's not that you're a terrible person if you do these things. It's not that you're a bad person. It's just that you don't have to. Yeah. And it makes life so much easier if you just don't. Yeah. I mean, for me, that was actually like one of the biggest things that held me back when I was a teenager was because I was getting all of this messaging from like my peers and from Uh, you know, just like television and things like that. And I had this idea that uh, sex is probably okay and fine. I just don't talk to my parents about it. Like I mentioned, the problem was so much of my teenage thoughts were tied up in, or so much of my identity, I should say, was tied up in thinking that people who, like the, the other teens my age who had had sex or who were having sex or, you know, who were uh, getting into sexual relationships with lots of girls, those people were doing better than I was doing. They were more mm-hmm. accepted. They were more liked. They were cooler. They, they had more going for them. And so, so much of my time was spent thinking, okay, well then how can I, you know, I, I, need, I need to define myself by... If I'm having sex and if I like and how much and it was exhausting and it led me to do it led me to waste a lot of my teenage years on things that didn't matter and to really neglect a lot of friendships and relationships that I should have put a lot more effort and attention into because I was focused on the wrong things. Yeah, and I think that for me, looking back on the teenage years and your childhood years, like they really are fleeting. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to be honest, 
you have no idea who that cute person in your class in grade 9 or 10 is going to be 10 years later. And a lot of people who were great kids when they were 15 turn out to be great 25-year-olds. A lot of them really don't. <laughs> um, like, <laughs> I'm going to say, like, when you're a teenager, you're not the only one figuring out who you are. And there are yeah. a lot of people who go on a really great upwards trajectory, and then they take a hard left. Yeah. That actually brings up another thing that I kind of want to talk about, though. Uh, just you you made me think of it just there. And that's that the other person, you know, like the, the other people also have their stuff that they're trying to figure out. One thing that I think is a lot harder for teenagers to recognize, I certainly know it was for me and Rebecca, I'd like to hear what you have to say about this, although it might be a bit different, is I... Because I was so self-focused with, again, like that journey of self-discovery and figuring out who I am, I didn't really have nearly as much capacity as I do now to recognize that the girls in my class were also just people, insecure, nervous, trying to figure things out, trying to figure their own bodies out. And I think that going back, like, I should have been so much more sensitive to the fact that the girls that I was interested in were also just people trying to figure things out. Mm -hmm. And they had their own stuff going on. They had their own mess that they were trying to sort through. But I just saw them as, you know, a, a bit more as objects than as people. Yeah, and, and that's really, really, really common during adolescence. Yeah, There actually is even a word for it. It's called the spotlight effect, mm -hmm. where we all believe everyone's looking at us, but we kind of forget that other people are, in essence, just as much the main character as we are. Yeah. This is really common during adolescence. It's why when you get a zit, you feel like everyone sees it, but you didn't notice when your friend had, like, seven. Yeah. Right? So that's, that's, that's what it is. We do, in our adolescent years, in our teenage years, we're very self-focused. And you are supposed to be. Yeah. You are supposed to be self-focused in your teenage years. Not selfish, no. but your job as a teenager is to figure out who am I, where do I fit in this world? What kind of person do I want to become? You know, what are my strengths and my weaknesses? And how do I become that person that I'm hoping to someday be? That is your job. And so if you kind of recognize that that's your job, and right now your brain is very focused on yourself and your emotions and your experience and, you know, figuring out who you are, you kind of can recognize that I'm not really in a place to be really focused on the other person the way that a healthy sexual relationship requires which yeah. is why you know i mean it's in essence you're not ready to be married you're 15 you're 16 you're 17 and it's it's just i i think if we have conversations that are more about what's your brain doing right now what is your life going to look like in seven years how are you going to look back on this and what are the people around you going through and how can we act in the most ethical way possible towards the people around us i think that's just a better place to talk about you know why we don't have sex <laughs> as yeah. teenagers you know why we're waiting why we abstain why we are living chaste lifestyles yeah it's not because if you don't you're gonna ruin your life it's not because if you don't you're gonna have less worth it's not because if you don't you're gonna necessarily suffer consequences a lot of people have a lot of sex premarital sex uh, and they don't have consequences mm -hmm. that is an unpopular truth but it is it's because we are supposed to live lifestyles where we respect and honor 
and dignify the humanity of the people around us. And when we're teenagers, the best way we can do that is, in essence, keeping our hands off. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it actually, that, that's, it's just, that's kind of how I see it. It's more of an ethical question of, like, how can I recognize that I, I am in a position where I'm not necessarily even able to make the best decision with long-term consequences in mind because that's not my job right now yeah not because you're dumb not because you're just some kid not because like nothing nothing like that it's just literally not your job Mm -hmm. um and when it is your job you'll be ready yeah yeah but for now you can kind of just rest easy and enjoy teenagehood and i know teenagehood sucks we all know it you should see the melodramatic poetry that I wrote when I was 15, when I was 16. It's quite cringy, and yeah, maybe someday I will put it online for people to laugh at. But, you know, there is a beauty in just being able to embrace this stage of life for what it is, and also be able to tell yourself, this is temporary. Yeah. And so let's not make, you know, huge decisions and make it more complicated than it needs to be, because... You can enjoy this time of life without having sex. And by the way, stats show that the majority of teenagers don't. Yeah. The vast majority of teenagers really don't. It's yeah. it's not even like 52 and 48%. Like most teenagers do not have sex in grade 9 and 10 or 11. And yeah, so. Yeah. But like like when I was mentioning the health class, you know, think, thinking like 50% of the people in the class had, had sex. It's like we tend to think the people around us yeah. are having sex. Yeah. But that's not really the case. Yep. Yeah. It's not. And so you're not weird when you don't have sex in high school. There are good reasons to not have sex in high school. If you have had sex or you've had that decision taken away from you, you don't have anything less to offer anyone yeah. else. You really don't. Um, you are just as valuable, just as worthy, just as everything as you were before. Yeah. And so that's really what I want our kids to know is that your worth is not in have, how many times you've had sex, whether you've had sex, in whether or not you're still a virgin. That's not where your worth is at all. Your worth is in who you are as a person, who God made you to be, and who Jesus says that you are. That's where your worth lies. Yeah. And that is always going to mean that you have infinite worth, that you are treasured beyond measure, and that you are worthy of all love. You know? And Very so well then... Put. Yeah, and in that, let's just make sure that we're loving others to the best of our ability, even if that means keeping your hands off. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, anyway, that was just a little conversation that we had that I hope it could spark some interesting conversations between you and your your parents, if you're the kid listening, or you and your kid, if you're the parent listening. I'd also love to hear anyone's perspectives or, like, what you think we're missing or what you think we want to tweak a little bit. Because, again, we're planning on this, uh, like, more, like, we're planning on this, like, 10 years out here. So yeah. we would love your feedback because this, <laughs> this is not an imminent conversation for us. Yeah. Um, but this is just what we've been working through as we are in this world where we're questioning a lot of these typical evangelical beliefs and how can we keep the more of truth but get rid of all of the manipulative language you know and so let us know what you think in the comments below there will be a link to the blog post that goes along with this podcast in the show notes um, with this podcast so make sure you check it out there because you can tell us what you think and we would love to hear it yeah we absolutely would yes we are not wedded to um most things like like all the things that we're trying to figure out like we haven't figured it out 100 percent. yeah so this is just a conversation yeah So let's have it with you. Let us know what you think. And I hope that you all have a wonderful rest of the week. 
this is a bit of a weird episode, I know that, but uh, it's a bit of a one-off one too. We just had so many people asking for how to talk to your kids about sex, and so we figured, well, let's just do it for you. Yeah. <laughs> let's let you talk. Let's let you talk through it. So that was our podcast for this week. I hope that you have a wonderful rest of the week, and you will see us again next week for a more regularly scheduled podcast when Sheila will actually be back. Very good. Goodbye.